0: All right, folks, welcome back to the last Mountain West Wire football podcast. Uh, we've had quite a few recently. Jeremy here. Matt's uh, joining us. We've had uh, our buddy Josh Fredlin hop in a little bit to talk some CSU wildness. Um, Matt, you've missed um, you missed some stuff at MWR.com podcast edition. Yeah, you, you, travel.
1: You go out of town for one weekend to go see a concert, and you miss so, so much. What you people should listen to. Go listen to those anyways, because they're great podcasts. Also, our Hawaii podcast about who knows
0: what's going on in the Warriors program. Which uh, I we had a Twitter beef, which is hilarious. So if you want to go search that, go do it. But we're not going to discuss it here because it's not worth it. But where do you want to start? We have transfer exodus. We have Nevada new head coach. We have CSU new head coach Matt. You since you've been uh, not MIA, but just uh, we haven't discussed this since then. Where do you want to begin Out
1: of, the, out of those um, items so, so let's talk I know you talked about The Jay Norvell hire uh, More extensively with Josh A few days ago But you know For those oh, Wait it's only a few days ago it Seems like forever With for, all the stuff okay, So on. maybe it was More than a few days ago But you know Just it, it, for those Recently Who didn't tune in For that episode Like can you give Sort of like your Craig's no your, uh, your Cliff Notes version I don't have a Craig's Notes But Cliff Notes
0: I can give you here Cliff Notes That's <laughs> what I was thinking of Yeah <laughs> Um, so basically Nevada doesn't care about football, is where we came came down to essentially. Uh, Josh liked to hire a lot. Neva- CSU is more committed to football. And while it's not explicitly stated publicly, but it's kind of the worst kept secret. CSU wants to go to the Big 12 if that if that's a possibility, mm-hmm. which is why they're paying coaches quite well, the new stadium, things like that. So that's where they're coming from. They figured there are other names out there, like Tony Alford could be a possibility, but Jane Orvell. For what he did. Here's the thing, he beat the crap out of you guys. So why not? If you can't beat him, join him, right? So you go get that guy, lure him away, and pay him. That's true. And so that was the main kind of main takeaway. There's like, I don't know if Jay, I don't think we settled upon if Jay Norville was the best hire, but it was a really good hire. Because everybody wanted Ohio State running backs coach Tony Alford, who has been like an assistant or associate head coach at multiple occasions. He's turned down jobs to go to Notre Dame. He turned down Brian Kelly to go. I think it was Brian Kelly, LSU this time around as well. I think Brian Kelly really wanted him at some point, Notre Dame or LSU. or mm-hmm. He's turned on both jobs. So he's. it's interesting why he's staying there. Uh, we talked about Graham Harrell possibility, possibility to bring that fun offense, but Norvell brings that same offense with most of the staff. This is before we knew the staff is always who Norvell is going. But just the commitment to football at the CSU trumps Nevada, who had to go to Stanford and Palo Alto to get out of the smoke. Could no indoor practice facility. They don't pay coaches very well. They're shooting above, shooting above anything for how well they've been. Like the way Jaden Norvell's been doing the past couple of years on not much money
1: is astronomically amazing. So, so that's kind of so, where we can So, so, so the Wolf, Like the is the Wolfpack program like the Oakland A's? I guess it has to be transfers
0: like Carson Strong. Um, Moneyball, we're referring to. If you haven't seen the movie or read the book from Bill James, go do it. But basically, they find players who are good but may not be explosive or superstars. However, I would counter saying Romo Dubs is a pretty good player, and Carson Strong, who's off the NFL draft, is going to be a top sixty pick. I'm guessing. And, that, and but I your think assessment is, is that not I wrong.
1: Think is, is maybe the biggest draw for for the Norville hire in particular, and I would say by extension by all you know pretty much all the coaches that they brought with them. To me, the fact that they have developed so much talent is I would imagine the most alluring thing about the hire to a lot of Colorado State fans who, you know, it's not like they haven't recruited fairly well, you know, if, if the, even if they haven't been on the same kind of like, you know, Boise State UNLB type level over the last couple of years, like they haven't been slouches, let's say, but they haven't developed talent at that same kind of rate. And and that goes back, you know, not only from from the, the Steve Adazio area, but like I think maybe even going back to Mike Bobo. You know, there you know, they had some individual successes, but you know, it, those would you say there were like few and far between
0: more often than not? Outside
1: outside of the wide receiver string, which is one of the
0: best in all of FBS and NFL, players they developed that way. Mm-hmm. However, a couple of transfers, um, a couple of defenders like Shaq Barrett. Heard of him, he's pretty good at the NFL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Garrett Grayson, eh, top hundred pick to the Saints never panned out to be Drew Brees' heir apparent when he was the whatever pick he was in the th- top hundred pick. Mm-hmm. Um Warren Jackson not did amazing things, but you have like Michael Gallup. you have Richard Higgins who's hit or miss Cleveland. Like they you're right. And that they have a couple guys defensively in the NFL, but it hasn't been a team thing. Because look at all the quarterbacks left to Patrick O'Brien left. These quarterbacks transfer when things just he gets hurt, young guy comes in. ACL tears were some of the issues were injuries recently. But the, you're right, Like overall, they haven't it. been – like the reason July 6th was Mike Bobo Day. Come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Easy answer right there. <laughs> Not since Jim McElwain, but even him, he just – we don't know because he was such a quick, quick guy to jump up and increase that team so quickly. I don't know if that's the case either because – they didn't fall off too bad under Mike Bobo, but they weren't amazing either. Like they were just, yeah, okay. So we don't
1: know how that development works when there for not even two full years. And, and to me, like the most interesting thing is like, at least, at least in the mountain West, we like, we have never seen anything like this before, you know, not only in head terms coach, of like, head coach, yeah. Head, you know, head coach from one team in the conference to another, like, you know, we've seen offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators either move up or move down. I think, you know, like Rocky Long was the most recent example of a of a defensive coordinator who went from New Mexico out to San Diego State and then back to New Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, exactly. other than that, like this kind of thing just doesn't happen. And then anywhere, like no, maybe then, big time, big be, time, but and then while we aren't going to be touching like too deeply in a national signing day or anything like that. You know, one thing that has definitely come out of this is the fact that Colorado State has more or less rated the best part, a lot of the best parts of the Nevada roster to, you know, basically fill in the ranks of, of all the players that are departing. So it's not like Colorado State doesn't have their own departures on the transfer portal. And we'll talk more extensively about that in a little bit. But like, you know, Todd Santeo is out the door. You know, Cam I'm, I'm okay. Hey, if you're a Rams door. fan,
0: hold on. If you're a Rams fan, Applaud that. I'm fine with that. Not not to degrade the kid or anything, but he clearly, while he did get a bit better, I don't think anybody was a super big fan of him. Because is he going to fit too in the type of offense Jane Orville, and Matt Mummy are going to bring over? Not a chance. Well, I guess we'll never know now. I no, know. I
1: know. Come on, we know. But then, but then but then not only that, you know, like you you see coaches making a jump all the time and bringing player, you know, coaches with them, like position coaches and things like that. But, you know, how, in terms of like transfer portal arrivals in we're recording this on Wednesday, right, you know, immediately after kind of the early national signing day, how many former Wolfpack players are now Rams? You know, by my count, it's like one, two, three, four, plus, oh. seven. including, you know, including Mel Quan Stovall, wide receiver, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. AJ King, who's, you know, a, a part-time starter at cornerback, uh, Torrey Horton, you know, another starting wide receiver. Avery Morrow, who was more or less like the heir apparent to Devontae Lee and to in the backfield, and also the the highest recruited player that Nevada had ever had in quarterback Clay Millen. And, And oh, by the way, they also recruited two other quarterbacks today. So, you know, they're definitely giving themselves a massive infusion of talent, you know, that's familiar with the system that is sort of unparalleled. Like, you know, we, we, we've seen, you know, someone like Blake Anderson, for instance, bring over a, a, you know, a couple of guys from Arkansas State to Utah State, you know, last offseason. But we haven't seen anything like this. And while it isn't without necessarily, I mean, there, there's still risks involved, chief among them, you know, we'll talk more about it in a minute, but like, you know, Carson Strong's not walking through that door at Canvas Stadium. Um, so, you know, they're going to have to find someone new to be able to operate that. But I think if you're a Colorado State fan, you have confidence Norvell and the rest of that staff is going to find that guy the same way that they found, you know, Ty, you know the same way that they, they picked up Ty Ganji from sort of the later yeah. stages of the, the Brian Polian area. And then, you know, enabled Carson strong to get his feet wet and then dominate for the last couple of years. was it wasn't Carson stronger transfer as well? No, no, no. I believe he was he was a freshman. He was, he was the, Nevada was the only college to give him an, an FBS offer. If I remember correctly. Uh, okay. Maybe. Maybe I think it's somebody else. Okay. But you're not wrong. Like what
0: Norville did, like offense is exciting. And what, what talent the Rams have and who's staying. Have we heard? Okay. Cause I, you've been doing the transfer portal more than me anywhere. Is Dante
1: Wright staying? Is any word on that? Like, is he moving on? Uh, I haven't heard anything about Dante Wright. Uh, as far as offensive contributors, Centeo is the big name. Uh, you know, Marcus McElroy left. A, I want to say like a month, month and a half ago. He's already found a landing spot at, yeah. at McNeese State. Um, you know, so, mm-hmm. some, Louisiana, other, yeah. some other sort of, you know, role type players have left, you know, like Jonah O'Brien and other quarterbacks in the portal. Like I said, the starting center, Cam Reddy is in the portal. Um, but as far as other sort of major contributors from last year's team there, at the moment, there really isn't anybody else.
0: Okay. I was just curious. I think out loud, like they we'll see, but, with Marcus Stovall coming to play right away, he'd be number one receiver. Him and Dante Wright, if they both around. Um, I guess the big thing is a quarterback. With Santeo gone, they're kind of starting over at QB, which will probably mean, like, the Rams are currently the fourth class to Mountain West with just 11 commits. And But when you go by average, it's all 24-7, average ranking, like, per player, because it can be skewed a bit, because Utah State has 22 commits. They're ranked higher, but they're still average per. is pretty good. They are Boise's number one, San Diego State's number two. Fresno State's number three. Of UNLV, well, sorry, I'm reading a lot of boring. We're basically they're about fourth or fifth in per player. I thought they'd be higher. Never mind, because UNLV is actually higher per player, but has only ten commits. But and they're going to be. They are kind of starting starting over at quarterback because who's going to be like who played? This? There's only Todd Centennial. Patrick or Brian Brian left last year, so I can still see the Rams next year. Maybe, maybe eligible. Maybe you know what I mean? Like. I don't know if going to – maybe he'll get a supri- super surprise and play extremely well with this team and coach him up. But they have like Jackson Stratton from La Jolla, California coming in, three-star QB. Maybe he'll be the guy. They have a couple quarterbacks in the class, also a guy uh, from Texas, Braden Fowler, Nick Nichol- – Nicholasy? Nicholasy? One of those Nicolosi, I believe, yeah. A couple three-star guys. So, Nicholasy, yeah.
1: And Millen, who Norville so
0: recruited I'm, at Reno. Oh, okay. The, maybe I haven't gone that far. Let's scroll through real quick. He, well, he was a but, transfer. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay, yeah, but okay. Oh, there it is. Here's all the uh, trip Oh, yeah, they have eleven transfers. Here, I'm on the wrong page, man. I need to scroll <laughs> down more. Uh, okay, yeah, one, two, hold on, three, four. What did you say? 11 transfers. You said, oh, that's crazy. I'm sorry, I'm I'm looking at twenty-four-seven. Like, oh wait, I know Mark. Why is Mark Mark McQueen Stovall? Sorry, not Mark And that's
1: that's what I'm saying. We've never seen anything like this before. And no, and, and that's that's true of Nevada Yikes. as well. You know, I think, you know, for as, as optimistic, I think, as Colorado State fans should feel right now, like, uh, you know, to me, Norville seems like a home run higher. Nevada's starting over yeah. in a lot of respects. Um, and it's not simply because of all the guys that they lost, you know, to to the Rams, you know, not on the field, on the sidelines. You know, they had other transfers, you know, uh, you know to San Jose State. You know, they've had, you know, a couple guys that are probably going to land either in, in FCS teams or in the Power Five but you know they've got their own new guy now in Ken Wilson. Yeah. And you know that's not necessarily like the sexiest tire out there. So so I mean uh, if you're a Nevada fan how concerned would you feel right now? Very
0: Like, this proves they – here's what like, this also makes me wonder, how did the heck they hire Steve Alford for basketball? You know what I mean?
1: Like, he's making more than Jay Norvell was. So, it sort of reminds me of, of something that came up when they were discussing this, uh, you know, immediate – I think it was either right before or right after Norvell's departure on the Split Zone Duo podcast. And, and if you're not a Patreon subscriber, um, you know, oh, I'm not, not going to pay for this, but I would, I, I would definitely do it. But they said that Nevada. Uh, they gave the impression that Nevada was more interested in being a basketball school than a football school.
0: Yeah, like they very true. I right, so no no sad confession. I only signed like a month ago. Like what was I doing, man? Get them my five dollars a month. Jeez. <laughs> but you're right because Eric Musselman, they Steve Alford. But it's weird because they've had. I know it's FCS level, but massive success with Chris Holt, visionary. Offensive head coach Chris Alt. They like Norville it took a minute, but you would think once you get going, like, oh, we can realize, hey, we could do this and we're not spending much money. So imagine if they put in, I always brought this, I brought it to the ball off season only, like just a 10% more. Like imagine if they do 10% more here, this there, get a few things like pay, yeah, because pay is not that much more from 600 to like 850. That's not a big deal, I don't think. But the big deal is getting the place practice. You do to spend – how much money they spent going to Stanford for like a week when they couldn't build a practice facility and not go anywhere? You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. But I don't know why they'd be interested. I know they're good at basketball, but they've the success at FBS level has finally been coming through the past couple of years. Do they not realize that?
1: I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, you know, I, I think there's obviously still a lot of questions to be resolved there, you know, because we don't know who the coordinators are going to be. Obviously, that's always going to make a huge amount of difference. You know, we know Vitawa is sticking around at least. And, you know, for as, yeah, much, as much as they lost, they aren't losing everyone. You know, both Lee and Tawa are still there in the backfield. You know, they still have some defensive pieces that, you know, I believe still have eligibility left. But, yeah, it's it's going to be – a really big overhaul and maybe a shock to the system of, of what Nevada had come to expect over the last few years under Norvell. But, you know, I would say sort of let things play out at least a little bit and see, you know, who they bring in to fill out the coaching staff and what they do between now and, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the later signing period stage. Cause you know, I think they only had like what three or four people actually signed today for national signing day, not, not that many, but I have to imagine that they're gonna give serious consideration to rating the transfer portal to shore up some of the you know the talent exodus that they had. And then you know, maybe use the rest to to think long-term as far as you know, maybe you know, identifying pieces you can be part of that new foundation that can that can grow together. And even if they you know unexpectedly end up taking a lot of lumps in 2022, that they'll find themselves in a better position to sort of have that hard reset and then get back to being more competitive. Because I think the last thing you want to do is to go in and get a bunch of like Juco transfers or anything like that and try and give yourself a shot in the arm. You know, like it, it, it works in some circumstances, like it, like it did most recently with Utah state, but there are other terms like, you know, like it did in, in Bob Davies last year, for instance, in New Mexico where just, it just didn't. (laughs) And so I think they have to. That was a bit extreme on what they wanted. So they have to give a lot of care, I think, as to how they decide to build out the roster from here, you know, whether they go for sort of that instant impact to try and remain competitive, or whether they say, okay, fine, we're going to tear it all down, take our lumps next fall, and build something that's sustainable again. So you know what
0: the problem with this hire is? I'm just now reading more upon it. I didn't realize. Did you know Chris all basically made this hire?
1: Well, I mean, is that necessarily a bad thing? yes and no
0: yes because he's not the ad (laughs) first of all and this well i'm just i'm just saying like you're not the boss so
1: it is just like not urban meyer length i'm just saying
0: yeah Um, i mean and
1: and that's a that's the huge difference because i think that i know i think is where our listeners minds are likely to go but the thing is like chris alt is is nevada so that right there is is someone that is is a, is a tremendous, uh, you know, familiarity with that program, with that region, knows what it takes to build a winner there because he did it multiple times. And like I said, even if Ken Wilson doesn't necessarily like, you know, scream impact coach right away, you know, he's a guy like he, he coached at Nevada for what, 19 years.
0: Something like that. But here's the, it goes, the past when the past was good, but it's like you need to go to the future, man. Also, you know where Ken Wilson came from? He was the co-defensive coordinator of his Oregon team. Um, that I watched them play Utah twice. Could not stop a basic offense with three tight ends running the ball down your throat. <laughs> Just say it. I'm like, there's that, but also like bringing back a guy, it's like let's go back rewind to Chris all air. It's like, well, no, like, why? I know he's there from what, like you said, 20 years almost 89 to 2012. Like, it's hard to find something extremely positive about this hire. You got spurred, so let's go back to a guy who know, who we know who will stay. It seems like they're settling for something. I'm not sure what better or else they could have done. They could have got a better OC with an exciting offense to keep going. What they want, who wants a defensive coordinator? Well, maybe they, they, they get maybe maybe their butt kicked can. in by a
1: team. You know, maybe they have that, you know, the capacity to unearth some, you know, up and coming offensive coach talent. You know, they did it with Nick Rolovich before he became, you know, the head coach at Hawaii before he went to to Wazoo. So it's not not like they haven't done that before, you know, sort of building out that coaching tree. And so maybe that's what they're envisioning where we're, you know, even if Wilson is more of a defensive minded guy than Norval was. That they supplement him with sort of the 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 assistant coaching talent that lets them more or less try and continue doing the same thing that got them here to to this juncture in the first place. It might be, but it seems like they were settling for a guy who, like I said, a guy who knows he's going
0: to stick around for a while because he's a Nevada guy. Like Chris was pissed. This happened. They lose lose. Um, but you should see it coming when you're paying your coach to coach the bottom of the Mountain West when you're contending for conference titles the past two years. Like you should pony up and pay. I don't know why they want to be basketball school, which is fine. It could be both, but pay him a little bit more and he would have stayed. You're telling me you could, I don't know. Well I don't know. It's not my thing to say, but if he paid a little bit more, was paid out more a little, a little bit, he would be, he wouldn't be going anywhere. He wouldn't be going within conference at the very least. Here the Jane Norvell wanted out of Nevada so bad. Not saying he wanted, but he was honestly on some level, I don't know how high percentage, but his name is linked to going to Oklahoma as their head coach. Oklahoma. I'm just saying, I like, that was a
1: long shot though. Let's be real.
0: I know. I'm just but he coached Oklahoma, he coached Texas, he coached Arizona State. But he decided to stay within the conference. I'm just saying, like, I know he wasn't going to get the job, but like he was his name was out there. It's like, well, you never know. Maybe if Oklahoma wants an offensive guy, Norville has good offense. You look what he did in Nevada. He has an NFL quarterback, NFL receivers. Like Brett Venerables, come on, that's not a splash to heart. it's a defensive coordinator from wherever he's up before. Just saying, like that was a that's a fine hire. It might be great. I'm just saying, if they wanted to keep similar things going with Lincoln Riley had going and fun offenses and, and scoring points, Norvell may not been number one on the list, but he probably was somewhat in consideration. I'm just like, if you're linked at the higher, there's reasons to be linked at higher to that job. I'm just saying, like there's not. This is not to say he wanted to leave Nevada, but he had options and probably better options than
1: Colorado State if he really wanted to. Yeah, I guess I, hate, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying, you know, like I would, I would caution against a rush to judgment. It's just not inspiring.
0: That's what I'm saying. That's it's guys in Nevada and the way Oregon ended, ended their season. Like, yeah, Oregon's won the Pac-12 a couple of times. Great top ten defenses, been pretty good, We're above average. He's been Washington State for a while, when they're just okay with um, Mike Leach. I think 13-18. I think that was Mike Leach. All of Mike Leach, but. Like from what I saw the past couple weeks when they played Utah a few times, not very good. We see him struggle versus lose a freaking Stanford. is not very good. Like not his fault. They lose, but their defense wasn't all that great. And it's just, let's go back to my buddy who was there when I was there and he'll be a Nevada guy for a long time. Who cares how much we pay him? Like I will see a commitment because Nevada's raised to him or not raised, but the increase in pay was modest and well-deserved, I guess, for to make it look like they're not a cheapskate school. But if they're going to be committed to football, they got to start doing better stuff on campus. So, so here, here's,
1: here's my counter argument though. You know, based on the, I mean, he did pretty well with the talent that he was given at Oregon most recently. You know, he made, what, what was it? No, is it Noah Sewell? Who's this? who's the middle linebacker there? Yeah, it's
0: very good. Very good player.
1: Yeah. And so I, you know, I would say that, you know, between someone like him, you know, someone like, you know, Dion Buchanan, who was what like, he was like a, what, a first second round draft pick some years back Um you know, when he was at Washington Kevin probably top like, five pick this year? Yeah. Avalon. Well, actually, he, I think he's more of a defensive end, so he wouldn't have been, like, you know, maybe a direct, you know, oversight of that. There's, but I'm just well, saying, he's like, you know, a coordinator, so. I'm saying he's done well with the talent that he's been given in the past. I, I think it's it's sort of maybe unfair to characterize a coach simply by the games that they lose.
0: I know. I, I'm just going what I saw, but I, but I can still go back and say it's uninspired when you bring a guy who just because they're at your school for a long time. And like it, let's probably keep repeating back, but they want a guy who's not going to leave. They want another Chris. There's a reason to go back to Chris all who's here for 27 years and was hired twice as a coach. Like if you think you're a guy who can keep long term, pay the guy, first of all, but then don't reach into the into the past. That's why I. That's why I think this hire is uninspired. It might be great. It might be fine. I could be hundred percent wrong down the road. I'm I just, willing to, I'm I'm willing to, to keep event, an open I'm mind. Like, and, 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 and admittedly, you hired who? i
1: I'm willing to keep an open mind, but admittedly, that's because at first glance, I didn't know a lot about the guy. But I think you know that familiarity, especially with the with with times at which the program was at some of its highest peaks. You know, in, in the mid to late '90s, especially. You know, I think that familiarity. Oh, but that's SCS level. That's not. It's not FBS, open, but I think. Though, but but again, I think a lot of it is going to depend on who he brings in to you know surround himself and see you know if they try and and maintain what made them successful under Norvell or if they try and go in a different direction. Because I think if it's the latter, then I might be a little more skeptical. But I'm gonna. But I'm willing to wait and see. Well, we'll see. I don't. I just. um I'm not a huge fan of it. It might work out. I, I hope
0: I'm wrong. I hope it keeps. They keep it going. But. I'm just, uh, again, uninspired is my thoughts. So then they lose half their team, players transfer. It's like it's a total two to three years for anything positive. Like they're not going to the bowl game next year. We'll get to see – like we'll get to their bowl matchup. I'm like, you went to Vegas to put money. I'm sure you took whoever – I don't even know their bowl matchup. I'm blanking. But you probably took the the other team. Yeah, Western Michigan probably covered that game, right? I'm just saying I'm not taking Nevada for anything.
1: Well, I think the the biggest problem that they face immediately is the fact that Carson Strong is no longer there either, and it's not because he transferred; it's because he's preparing for the NFL draft now. Well, I know, but I'm just I'm just saying. Even I get it, but that's the know. right move,
0: right? Oh, clearly, yeah. It's he's also not fully healthy because there's even right after the final games, it's like or game, Jay Neville came out and like, well, we'll see how healthy he is he's been banged up, mm-hmm. and it's fine because he's going to be a top sixty pick. Gonna yeah. make uh,
1: a couple million bucks. Yeah, between him, between Cole Turner, who also bowed out of the bowl game, uh, and as mm-hmm. well as basically losing everybody on offense that isn't like, you know, three three fifths of the offensive line and, and Romeo Dubs, <laughs> um, it's it's gonna be a rough one for Nevada at least uh you know in a, in a couple of weeks when they take on the Broncos. Anything else when they to get to what other stuff, transfer stuff, or um, do you want
0: to go per game? How are we doing this now?
1: So spe- speaking of the transfer portal. Because we mentioned a few names that have, that have put themselves out there and, and landed in different places, this is a lot more than I expected, isn't it?
0: It seems like it's been all like as soon as the season's over, boom, 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 guys out of there.
1: So, so what is the what's the one thing that has sort of surprised you so far about whether it's you know guys leaving or, or guys finding a destination somewhere in the Mountain West? Um, I do like Jake Kander retaining being stayed
0: with Jeff mm-hmm. Tedford. so that's a huge deal because he is going to follow um, Kellen on the board to go to Washington, where it's like, man, yeah, we'll see. Um, is it surprising that how many Nevada guys went to CSU? I don't know how if that's sort of surprising, but then that a lot of the number was pretty big. It's a lot. Um, I need to I haven't gone over your the list in a day or two, but that's that's a big deal. The Fresno keeping most of their guys, which means. Like, they could be a near frontrunner next year again with Jay Kanter coming back. Like, Jalen Cropper staying. Like, I know they lose to Ronnie Rivers. And is Jordan Mims gone as well, I believe? I, I don't remember if he still as eligible if <laughs> or not. Boise State's been not done a lot, which is good. Like, outgoing players. Um, CSU's losing a million guys. Fresno doing fine. Those guys are staying. I guess Hawaii? But that's not really a surprise of what's going on there, despite damage
1: control by people who cover the team in town. So, so one thing I don't think we touched upon last time is Stephen Cordero si- to Siobhan San Jose Cordero. State. So, yeah, <laughs> and he and he's uh, not the know. only one either. Who yeah, else just, is going? We, up just, we just talked about you know all the players leaving Nevada. Not all of them went to Fort Collins. A couple of them were going to San Jose. Man, Elijah, Elijah Cooks, Justin Lockhart. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh. <laughs> I'm looking at your Nevada list. Oh my goodness. Or going to CSU. Um, I don't. There's no other bigger surprise than the CSU Nevada pipeline that's going on right now, or vice versa. That's a pretty big deal in Hawaii. Nothing. There's a lot, but part of it is, too, is circumstance over. I don't think, I'd say it's kind of a one off. This was in the Mountain West because the new coach within conference, that makes a lot of sense. It all go. That's not going to be a normal norm thing where Nevada is going to lose a dozen guys in the portal.
1: I mean, I think it's, I think it's interesting though, what San Jose state has been able to do because they haven't hit the transfer portal as hard as some other teams have either this year or last year, but you, know, you could arguably make, I mean, you could make the case that they've solved two of their most pressing questions from last year or, or at new least quarterback and some- more wide receivers. Yeah, because you know what, and and which is not to say that you know the quarterback situation they had last year was bad. It was you know Nick starting going forward, and was was never fully you know fully healthy. I would imagine for most of the year, and and Nick Nash wasn't necessarily bad per se. But you know he and Cordero all of a sudden make for a really interesting quarterback competition going into the spring and and probably into the fall. I would imagine, and. and a couple wide receivers like Cooks, Lockhart, exactly. Hamilton, I think is back, and that you know gives them a suddenly very interesting wide receiver unit. Because, and again, it wasn't like the wide receivers were bad last year; they were actually a pretty explosive unit. It was just you know they weren't as efficient as they had been when they won the championship the year before. But I think you know between yeah. that, that trio of players, Cooks, Cordero, and Lockhart, all of a sudden the San Jose State's is looking a lot more interesting than they did a couple of weeks ago when they were sort of not necessarily playing off the string, but that, you know, it, there was, I would say a little doubt that the, that the season didn't go the way they expected it to. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. That, that makes them like, we can probably do this a bit later off season show it's supposed to be our bowl preview here sort of, but this may be some ways, one of our shows later on, like look at these rosters, just because it's not just minimal turnover. It's a lot. Yeah. And we can kind of break down some teams, how they go kind of a, Early, stupid predictions, super early, like in mid-January, what's going on next Mm -hmm. year. But what I'm seeing right now is that CSU, if they get a quarterback, could be better. San Jose State looks to be keeping pace. Um, This is just based off transfers alone. Hawaii's going to take a step back. Um, UNLV's only gotten a couple guys coming in, but uh, we'll see. Fresno, keeping guys will still be up there. So we'll see how it goes, but... Yeah, there's a lot, and it, it's fine. If you want to move, and this is also, we should know, I believe this is the first fall season of the initial transfer, no penalty as well. Yes. So all, the, so all these guys, as long as you haven't transferred before, are immediately eligible, which is great. I love it, which means a lot of movement. And this, I was thinking about it the other day, I'm like, who the heck wants to be a college football coach? Especially now with, I know you got NIL, you have stupid former coach Gene Chizik's, being a throwing a hissy fit despite him getting paid millions to not coach and change jobs all the time and complaining about offensive of lineman line getting 50k a year. Um, but like dealing just dealing with the logistics of like I thought it's hard to be when guys like who go on their church mission and gone for a couple of years to roster management, but now you lose a dozen of guys to portal, guys come in and guys come and go, do them scholarships, you have to constantly accrue. Like, I'm fine for player movement and doing all that. That's good for them to find a better opportunity, whether it's perceived or actual actual better situation for them it's got to be hard to keep track of this stuff man i'm just saying it's got to be difficult right you're not just coaching a football that's why cliff kingsbury ain't coming back to college pal he's staying where he's out with the cardinals it's, it's hard to argue with the paycheck meyer uh, he's just get fired but that's it
1: it's hard though right i'm just saying it's difficult it is, it is it? a very difficult job yeah another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check
0: All right, is it bowl game time? I believe it probably is, yeah. <laughs> just wonder what else we get. There's a lot of stuff. All right, so we're going to break this up in a couple of segments. We're going to do two bowl games, and then we'll have another podcast probably directly after. UTEP at Fresno State in the uh, player, and it's PUBG Mobile Mexico Bowl, and also discuss the Jimmy Kimmel, who plays my bowl, who plays my bowl game, bowl game. I don't know. <laughs> that was a funny clip. And I honestly legitimate because he probably has no idea um let's start youtube at first no state so this it, what is pubg it's, it's like a um, over under it's like fortnite what are people gonna say man it's just like the fortnite game right
1: <laughs> i mean you would know better than i would but i think honest. it's called
0: player underground battle game or something is that no idea i've played it like twice pubg it's it's just it's a it's a mobile video game so like Again, it's like if you play Fortnite, Halo, it's kind of like that type of thing. First you, in should. other words, you could do a so lot worse. So this game is on ESPN.
1: Bull corporate sponsorship, you could do a lot worse.
0: Oh, we have one on the list. That's a lot worse than anything. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, too easy. 2.15 Eastern, 12.15 local time. You tap in Fresno State. And the answer to Red Green Chili is our buddy. Uh, oh, shoot. Who was on Twitter? forgot. Just say yes to it. You know what I mean? It's just have both. It doesn't matter. Go for it. Yeah,
1: although somebody, somebody um, was telling so us, UTEP, unless, somebody was telling us, unless you're a native New Mexican, now uh, you have to choose one. If you are or aren't, can you, if like you I are not. Stuff. Yes. You have to choose. If you're, why? I, I, I don't. I don't make the rules. I'm just passing along the word I was given. That's a fake rule. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay uh fresno is not a balloon to an 11
0: and a half point favorite most likely due to you know jay Kane returning to the program and not going anywhere uh matt who is the interim coach for this game i did not see who they named because uh, jeff tetford stopped not... it is lee marks okay also we didn't touch on jeff tetford hired you good right you good this time around yeah i'm good <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and, and perhaps related. Perhaps related, so did,
1: perhaps related to that, um, spe- and this sort of you know relates to what we talked about earlier uh, with Ken Wilson. Uh, Kirby Moore elevated to quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator. I believe he's going to be calling plays for the Bulldogs in this game. Is there a concern level for this, or is it fine
0: because you lose Kalen DeBoer and oh, Ryan Grubbs to Washington? Is that continuity still going to be enough? Because UTEP not, had a much better season than anybody thought. They were, what, four, five and oh, five and one at one point, ended seven and six, or excuse me, seven and five. Is there any concern about that? Or is like, oh, we got Jake Kaner, Jalen Cropper, Jordan Manns, Ronnie Rivers were, were good?
1: Here, here's the thing we're recording this on Wednesday, the 15th. We don't know if Jake Hanner is going to play or not. They've sort of kept that under wraps, and, and I don't know oh. how I, exactly how much of that has you know it, it relates to sort of you know brief dalliance with the transfer portal, um, but you know on the depth chart he is listed with an or uh, you know against both Jalen Henderson and Logan Five, so while you know pr- it's probably gamesmanship, I'm sort of operating under the assumption that if he's with the team, that he's probably practicing and he's just gonna get the start same as usual. Um, but I mean, other than that, you know, the, uh, everybody else is returning, like Fresno hasn't had the same kind of, you know, departures on the transfer portal that other teams have. So yeah, I think on paper, assuming Hainer starts, and even if he doesn't, I think that Fresno State still probably has a significant talent advantage on both sides of the ball. But I think where you start thinking about where this game is likely to be won and lost is you know, how much are the Bulldogs going to be able to push the Miners defense? Because I think you know that is the side of the ball that you know UTEP has succeeded on. You know they've succeeded upon most often this year, but it hasn't been perfect. You know, and it sort of depends on on what scope you take. You know, if you take the long view of what they've been able to accomplish over the course of the season, you know, in terms of like you know yards per play allowed, I believe they are second in Conference USA or third in Conference USA. Excuse me, uh, or fourth. I'm looking at the wrong column. Uh, allowing 5.13 yards per play. So that's pretty good, right? Yeah. But conversely, if you look at what they did against tougher overall competition, especially in November, that number jumps to 5.83. Hmm. And that was when you started getting into the part of the schedule where they were playing a lot of you know the teams that actually finished with winning records on the schedule, you know Florida Atlantic, Alabama, Birmingham, yeah. uh, you know, UTSA, uh, you know, the only game that they won basically after Halloween was the game against Rice. And, and Rice is not necessarily a, an opponent that's worth writing home about, let's say. Nope, nope, You know, in those, in those last four games against UTSA, North Texas, Rice, and UAB, they gave up at least five yards per play, where, you know, before that they were basically allowing under five yards per play against what is probably by and large inferior competition. In conference USA, he was a lot of attack had a down year. Southern Miss is playing without a quarterback by the end of the year. Uh, you know, New Mexico yeah. they they played that game without 20 players, you know, because of COVID and stuff like that. So, what I what I saw is you know a defense that you know while they are definitely you know they, they have a lot of talent, especially in that front seven. You know, they've got you know I think a trio of guys who were all conference all conference USA defenders. You know, uh, praise Amawule. Was one of the best pass rushers, edge rushers anywhere in that conference. You know, Keenan Stewart is an anchor in the middle. Tyrese Knight and, and Breon Hayward, you know, are, are very talented linebackers. But I would imagine that you know, Fresno State will be able to do what it does best with or without Hayner, which is throwing the football. Yeah, this <laughs> yes, would do really well. So it's pretty simple, right? So it seems like yeah, and and I think that's because you know UTEP has you know th- they've been very productive, but a lot of that has been you know in their ability to like stuff the run, for instance. So like you know in terms of like overall defensive stuff rate, for example, you know they're twelfth in the country with a stuff rate of twenty one point seven percent on defense. So that's pretty good. You know power success rate, same thing. They're you know sixteenth nationally. Opportunity rate. So, like running backs getting to the second level, they're only you know 17th nationally. So they know how to stop the run. But when it comes to you know being able to take down quarterbacks, you know their their overall team sack rate is actually below the national average. They're 85th nationally with 5.7 percent sack rate. And so I think if I'm president of State, regardless of whether Hainer is starting or not, I, I look at what I do and I say, well, if it's not broke, why would I? why would I fix it? You know, I'm, I'm an offense that throws the ball, you know, nearly 60% of the time on, on early downs. Why not just keep doing that?
0: Oh, it makes a lot of sense. Why, why would you go stop? Like, why did you go against something that works very well? Cause the running game has been okay for Fresno state, but passing game whew, off the charts. Right. Exactly. And I'm getting credit to also like Dana Dimmel there in UTEP, like he's turned things around. because They've been just garbage. Oh yeah. Like beyond I know they've lost, what, would you say, four or five? They they did not end the season very well. But overall, yeah, it was four or five, only with that Rice wouldn't be mentioned. But they, besides that, they've been, I don't know why that really happened later in the year, but they were productive and really good. And it's great for them to be here in this game, but this is a tough draw. Um, like, I don't know, man. It's, this is going to be a game where Fresno State outmatches UTEP almost in every aspect. Like you did your Q&A, with um, oh, Adrian uh, Brodus of six 600 AMV Pan UTEP, or I mean, me, El Paso, West Texas, mm-hmm. like what was his confidence level in this game? Like if people haven't read that piece, like where was he? He's like, Hey, we can do this against, um, like, was it Jacob Cowley? Was it stuff like this? Like what yeah. was his I mean, I, th- I
1: think game? he had some trepidation about UTEP's ability to sort of, to, to keep up with Fresno State, especially on offense, which is definitely, I would say a tough draw. For the miners just because like i said the, the defense is sort of what led them all year long um you know in, in terms of like available yards percentage which we talked about in podcasts past you know they're a top 25 unit in that regard you know in terms of you know defensive points per drive allowed they're you know 26th nationally so they've been very stingy but but again you know the defense took a step back against stronger offenses down the stretch but I think it, you know if there's a saving grace for the miners fans out there who might be listening to this podcast, it's that even though the defense maybe took a step back down the stretch, the offense really didn't, and, and it's an offense that you know definitely has some things that it does better than others. But it's it, it's a it's an offense that makes for like a really interesting contrast with what Fresno State likes to do because Fresno State is very much a you know, chuck it all over the place kind of team, you know, with Hainer under center, you know, he was like, for instance, one of the best first down quarterbacks anywhere in the country, you know, in terms of his ability to, you know, to move the chains, you know, to complete passes, to set themselves up with with more favorable situations. You know, that's how you get, you know, an offense that converts, you know, that that gets 72% of its first downs on first and second down. That's not what UTEP does. Your UTEP is definitely more of like a ball control type offense you know, they, they have sort of a stacked running game that, 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 even if it hasn't been as productive as it was last year, you know, uh, Deion Hankins, who was, I believe, you know, one of the top freshmen in Conference USA last year. He's been banged up throughout, throughout most of the year. You know, Ronald Watt is their, is their leading rusher. And, you know, this, so they've sort of had to cycle through guys in that backfield. But while they may not have the most efficient offense in the country, they've got a very explosive one. And I think that that's going to make for a very interesting matchup, especially if UTEP can can, give their quarterback, Gavin Hardison, a lot of time to throw. You know, one of the things that was most interesting to me, you know, looking at the matchup for this game is the fact that, you know, Gavin Hardison, like they don't necessarily throw the ball a lot at UTEP. But when you look at you know the number of big passing plays he's been able to generate this year, you know you compare him to someone like Bailey Zappi at Western Kentucky, who, you know, if you hadn't paid attention to the Hilltoppers last year, this year, you know they were maybe the most pass happy offense anywhere in the country this year. You know their quarterback threw it 639 times and had oh. thir- okay, so 639 times and he had 34 passing plays of at least 30 yards, right? So by comparison, Hardison, Hardison had 31, <laughs> and he did it in just 332 attempts. So that, so for those of you who, who don't like to do math, that's a shade under 10% of his throws that went for 30 yards. And, and, and while that sort of is, is anchored a little bit by the fact that his completion rate was only 56% this year, you know, yeah. It's definitely sort of like an, an all or nothing kind of. I, I don't want to call it all or nothing, but it's it's an offense that isn't afraid to take shots down the field, especially because they have the talent to do so. You you mentioned Jacob Cowing and passing, uh, you know, a couple minutes ago, but you know, he's one of the better wide receivers anywhere in the country that absolutely no one talks about. But you know, how many how many yards per car- or yards per catch did he average this year? Nineteen point nine. It's actually twenty point zero four.
0: Uh well, so I'm looking at ESPN, not stuff CFP stuff yeah. probably so sixty seven catch, catchy 67
1: catches, 1343 yards and seven touchdowns. Oh, they're missing 13 yards in my end. <laughs> yeah. And 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 he isn't the only piece in that that offense that can do damage. You know, Justin Garrett averaged over 13 yards a catch. You know, Tyron Smith the sophomore averaged 17 yards of catch. So it's an explosive offense,
0: you know. The as a team, real quick. 16, 15, well, I guess 16
1: yard depends on mine's accurate or not, but 16 yards per catch. That's amazing. Yeah. In terms of yards per right? completion, I, b- I believe they are either second or third in the country. And which makes for a really intriguing matchup against the Fresno State secondary that has very quietly played pretty well all year long, you know, especially in in, in conference play. You know, they took it to another level where, you know, by the end of the regular season, they, I believe they were number one in the Mountain West as, you know, within conference play in terms of like passer rating allowed. And, and I also believe in terms of, of uh, you know, completion rate allowed too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, 52.1% in eight conference games. And, and, and oh, by the way, they picked off nine passes in those games as well. So you know that defensive hmm. backfield is going to have a challenge on its hands and and but if that but if the front can get home, if they can put pressure on Hardison, which admittedly is probably easier said than done, you know, they don't necessarily have, you know, a one kind of like all conference dude in their on their offensive line, but you know, their their starting five made all but one start this year. So like you know, four starters played in all 12 games, you know, the center. You know, missed one game. So they're definitely a seasoned unit. And when it comes to, you know, you know keeping Hardison upright, they've been very good about doing that as well. You know, their sack rate allowed, I believe, is in the top 30 nationally or just outside of it. So it's sort of a strength on strength matchup because we know first, it's they can get after the quarterback, but they may have a harder ch- or rather a more difficult challenge than they maybe would have expected coming into this game just because. You know, UTEP isn't yeah. a it isn't a perfect offense, but that's one of the things they do well is they protect Hardison and give him time to throw down the field. Yeah, barely one second, just over one second game. at 17 yeah. on the year. Like they, that's that's
0: gonna be a thing. Like that's I think there can be the difference in this game. Like the running game, it's hit or miss because of injuries and who's healthy, but still decent enough. Yeah. But so like, like if, so, that, so, if that secondary can
1: get beat, that's where game can be had. Yeah, so, so case in point, you know, to put that in terms of like expected points added, which I think is always kind of an interesting metric, by EPA per rush, the miners are 107th nationally, they're actually in the negative in that regard. Um, and, and, it, and maybe it's worth noting, for us to it's also in the negative, they're 121st nationally. But in terms of EPA per pass, UTEP is fifth. Interesting. So they are a very explosive passing offense. And and by contrast, the Bulldogs defense in terms of EPA per pass is 17th nationally. So, you know, that's a credit to, you know, pretty much that entire unit. You know, Evan Williams was the, you know, the guy who collected most of the accolades. You know, he's an all-conference guy, but everybody back there can make a play. And so, you know, whoever ends up seeing the lion share, the responsibility on, on cowing in particular, you know, if they can keep him in check you know, that's going to bode really well for first these chances to run away with it. If they can't, then it's the kind of game that could that could maybe devolve into a, a shootout that nobody would have expected. But the under is like 51 points this
0: game. That's not very high.
1: No, it's not, which is sort of surprising. I would have thought it would have been maybe a touch higher. Did you take the over when you put some money on these games? Uh, I didn't actually take the over on any of them, but I mean, if I had, I would definitely take the over on this game.
0: So, so I, my one key area, which I'll kind of mention again real quick, is that UTEP pass offense versus Fresno's pass defense. Do you have a particular area, matchup you want to see that might make the difference?
1: I mean, I, honestly, it depends on what they do with Cowing because, you know, he's a guy who can play out of the slot. He, he's a guy who can play outside. So is, is Fresno State going to play a lot of man coverage to try and keep up with him? Or are they going to, you know, slip into zone and, and maybe risk finding, you know, you know, soft spots underneath for him to be able to thrive and not necessarily, you know, stretch the field per se, but to do damage with space underneath. Okay. Do you have the advance numbers what they say for this matchup? I do. As a matter of fact, what what do we got? So uh, FEI likes Fresno state by 12.4 overall. Uh, Bill Connolly's SP plus metric also likes the bulldogs by 15.3 81 percent win probability, and uh, our our sort of acquaintance Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter, his advanced stats preview gives the Bulldogs a 72.9 percent chance of winning, uh, with a projected margin of roughly 31 to 22. What do you say? I'm I mean I'm tempted to hedge a little bit because I don't know if Hayner's going to play or not. If he plays, I think they're going to win and cover pretty easily. I think if he doesn't, the Bulldogs will probably still so what, like win, 14 but points? I don't know I don't know if they'll cover. So I, I tried to split the difference a little bit when I wrote my preview of this game. Uh, I said Fresno State 34, UTEP 19. So I do have them winning and covering.
0: All right. I am going to go a little bit lower. I don't know, lower, but 31-14 for Fresno State. All right, then. So, I yeah, I just think even with or without hander, I think they get about 30 points. If he plays, like I could say, I could be inclined to say 40, but that's if he plays. But I'm not sure, we obviously don't know. That's why I go a little bit lower 31 mm-hmm.
1: 14.
0: Next game, ABC, Utah State, Oregon State 4.30 local time in SoFi Stadium. Where is it at the home of the uh Rams and Chargers? Right, that is correct. Oregon State 7-5, Utah State an immaculate 10-3, and three. Mountain West Conference champions are an underdog by touchdown to Oregon State team who somehow beat my Utah Utes. I'm still puzzled how that happens.
1: Was, okay, so was that before <laughs> or after they made the quarterback <laughs> switch, though?
0: Oh, that was well after. It was right before they started throttling teams like Oregon and Stanford and beating Arizona by an okay margin. Well,
1: okay, it so was you want mid- to know what it was, right? What was it? How, how many points did Oregon State score in that game against Utah? Uh, I have it right here 42. There's your answer right there.
0: They scored 42 points. Offense. Yeah. Oh, offense. Okay. Obviously. Yes. Offense.
1: And, but and that's, that, that's, that's really where you start having to talk about this Beavers team because, you know, maybe of, of all the games on, on the Mountain West's postseason slate, this one is the one that is likely to devolve into the biggest shootout of all. Oh,
0: that's what over-under is what? Um, I had to 60-something. Uh, that's, yeah. 60, 67 and a half.
1: Yeah, and so, like, you know, for instance, you know, I, I sort of like to talk about both the traditional and advanced metrics. So, like, but in layman's terms, if you're looking for a reason why that's the case, Oregon State was number one in the pack 12 in yards per play. 6.44. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, points per drive, they were a top 20 unit. They averaged nearly three points per drive. You know, by contrast, I'm trying to look up where Utah State was. Uh, Utah State on offense averaged 2.5 yards per drive. So there's about a half point per drive difference between them. You know, uh, available yards, uh, you know, per percentage drive, you know, they were top 20 team, basically 21st overall. They earned 55% of their yards on, on average per drive. This is an offense that can move the ball at will against this Utah state defense, if they're not prepared. So, so I'm thinking, you know, is that, is the defense that showed up against, you know, San Diego state and a lot of those, you know, maybe more inferior offenses down the stretch going to come out swinging, you know, like, you know, like, like, they did against the Hawaii game or whatever like that, or is this going to be a situation where they get rolled again, the exact same way that they did against Wyoming, because I think both of those things are on the table. I think so. I mean, maybe. It, and I think a lot, I, well, and a lot of that is going to depend on just how much disruption that Utah State can generate. Because what's interesting to me about this game is. Come on, Devin
0: Tompkins. Don't, 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 do not disparage your offense with Devin Tompkins. Oh, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm talking about
1: Oregon State's offense versus Utah State's defense, first and foremost. Because. <sighs> Hold the, on. Wait. Time out. We have breaking
0: news that's okay. tangentially related to Mountain West. Former Mountain West coach, U- University of Utah, Urban Meyer, is out. <laughs> okay. I, did, I had to bring this up did, like, moments ago. Oh, this is hilarious. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt this, but that, that's, that counts as news within our,
1: within our stratosphere, right? I'll allow it. Thoughts real quick. Do you care? Good. I mean, I, I you know what? Um, congratulations to Brandon Blake, our Nevada writer, and the only Jackson Jaguars yes. fans I know.
0: Also, congratulations to me because Texas are going to beat them again this year this weekend.
1: There you go. There you go.
0: Oh my gosh! My radio show tomorrow is set. It's going to be fun. All right. <laughs> Continue with Utah State's offense being awesome.
1: So, so before we get into the skill position talent, I think that, you know the one thing that's going to make the most difference in whether Utah State can hang out or not can they crack Oregon State's offensive line? Because, you know, we, we we've had this sort of a similar question last week against the, the Aztecs offensive line, you know, because they had, you know, a couple of high-end talents like Zachary Thomas, William Dunkel, and, you know, they just went up and, and basically ran through them like butter, you know, butter in a hot night, basically. Oregon State, though, might be an entirely different animal As a unit, they are one of the four finalists for the Joe Moore Award, which is given annually to the nation's best offensive line. Um, So if I just want to run down a few numbers for you real quick, average line yards per carry, they're number one in the country, 3.26. Opportunity rate, they're sixth. Power success rate, again, number one in the country. Stuff rate, they're fourth with an 11.3% stuff rate allowed. And oh, by the way, they could protect their quarterback Chance Nolan better than just about anybody else in the country too. They've allowed a sack rate of just 3.2%, which is seventh overall. And so I think this game is going to start and end, you know, pretty quickly or not, based on how much Utah State's, you know, front seven can can basically get past that offensive line. And, t- and take down Nolan and, and B.J. Baylor. If they can stop them behind the line of scrimmage, get them behind schedule more often than not, then that's going to go a long way, which is you know, maybe a strength-on-strength strength kind of thing. Well, like I'm not going to come out here and say that Utah State's overmatched in that regard. They've definitely played a lot better down the stretch, especially in terms of their ability to disrupt. You know, They, they basically dragged themselves from being a below-average pass-rushing team to an above-average one. You know, but, you know, including last, you know, the, the, the championship game a couple weeks ago, um, you know, by a lot of those same metrics that I just threw out there, you know, line yards per carry, stuff rate, power success rate, Utah State's in the top 10 by, the, by those measures as well. And so I think there's, there's a lot of potential little things upon which this game can hinge, but that's the one big thing that's going to turn the tide in this game one way or the other is, is Oregon State going to be able to assert their will? and remain balanced in doing so. Or is Oregon State or excuse me, or is Utah State going to be able to set a tone the exact same way they did in a lot of games down the stretch? That's the big if, in my opinion.
0: It also depends, like I don't want to say just say it's lucky, but if you look at Bill sees one expectancy after the fact, like they're like a seven and six team. Yet we all know Aggie fans won 10 games and they're great. But if there's any hiccups here or there, that could be a problem. Like we like you kind of been getting at. Yeah. Um they here's the thing: the Utah State-San Diego State game is not going to happen again, clearly, because what went wrong for Aztecs went wrong, and what went right for Utah State basically went right.
1: Oh no! I'm saying like, this is this is a whole other animal. Well, I,
0: I know it's. I'm not. We still have. We still have to bring the whole season the context where there were a couple games here or there where they probably should have lost, but they didn't because they're they've found ways to win. The only game I would say that's not the case is the Colorado State game where they just uh, kind of got a little lucky. I would say, but that's about I mean, it, really. I mean, let's put it like this:
1: this is. I mean, this sounds weird to say, this might be the best offense that the Utah State has played all year long. Yeah, I can see that. They BYU's offense is pretty good. That's true.
0: It's up there because Boise State won because of turnovers. Because remember, they're not out gaining, I don't care about, but the yards for play was Utah State favored in that game. That was just mm-hmm. short fields and, and turnovers. Unfortunate turnovers. Yeah. Washington State, they're okay. Yeah, this is a at
1: at worst the third best offense. This is this is a top 20 offense by SP Plus. So yeah, so it's up and, there. Yeah, and, and like and again, it's not simply because of like you know, one particular contributor, like you know. They've got, you know, Nathan Eldridge, who was, you know, one of the better, you know, the centers anywhere in the country. You know, he knows how to, you know, keep that, you know, unit together. You know, Brandon Kipper is a multi-year starter there. Joshua Gray, you know, stepped up as a redshirt freshman. And and oh by the way, they've got a pair of really good tight ends, too, who know how to, you know, pass, catch, and block, you know, Tegan Quatoriano, Luke Musgrave, um, so, I mean, you know, it's it's just as likely that they're going to try and line up and punch Utah State right in the mouth, you know, maybe play more ball control um, than Utah State has seen a lot of this year. And I would say a lot of that is prefaced by the fact that, you know, Oregon State likes to run the ball on early downs more than just about anybody else in the country. They, have, they run it 63.6% of the time on first and second down. And, and a lot of that is because they're really good at it. You know, they have, they have the offensive line to make it work. And they have the running back to make it work in B.J. Baylor, who, oh, by the way, led the Pac-12 in rushing yards this year and averaged six yards a carry doing it. Yeah, it's pretty good. I see It's Oregon. pretty good.
0: Yeah, and the Oregon State, like, this is a team also, they're pumped for this game because they have not been a very good football team the past couple of years. That's true. That's they, true. Haven't, they haven't been to a bowl game since 2013. When Sean Main was there, when they had Mike Riley, kind of went down a little bit, Gary Anderson. But, like, their team is like, okay – like they we also saw them play Hawaii where they lit them up, which is a bit surprising earlier in the year. They beat USC, which whatever, we don't care, but they the only games they lost were the, the Colorado and Cal game are weird that they lost both of those. Losing to Oregon, fine. But that's why there's some weirdness where not flukiness where I could see Utah State. They had no what I was gonna say wasn't fair. They clearly have a chance to win and can win and, and might win, but the way they could win. Easier way of a path for them winning is let's have the Oregon state team that showed up at Colorado. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. yeah. when they put on the road, that's where they lost. They lost at Purdue. They lost at Washington state. They lost at Cal, lost at Colorado, lost at Oregon. The only road game they won was at the Coliseum when they crushed USC. Yeah. They so were, they they're were, not they great were, away six, from
1: home. They were six and zero at, at research stadium. And I believe that was the first time since 2000 that they finished unbeaten at home. Yeah, but this ain't reached sustainable voice is so fly And and here's <laughs> so, and, and, and and here's a big reason why. You know, we just talked about how talented the offense is, and we didn't even mention Trevon Bradford. You know, his his numbers don't necessarily jump off the page in the same way that like someone like a Tompkins does. Mm-hmm. But there's no doubt he like, he is just as important to that passing offense as, as Tompkins is to, to the Aggies. The, yeah. So, so like, if you look 15 at... 15 yards a catch, 40 receptions. Yeah, so, like, if you look at the split stats between what the Beavers did at home versus what they did on the road, in terms of yards per play, the offense was actually slightly better on the road than it was at home. The catch, which is sort of a pivot we're talking about the other side of the ball now, is that the defense for the Beavers was a lot worse in those games that they lost on the road. At home mm-hmm. in Research Stadium, they allowed five yards per play, basically, 5.01. On the road, they were about a yard and a half worse, six point four two. That's a problem. It is a problem, and, and and on top of that, they're also playing in this game without their best defender on uh, Avery Roberts. You know, he had a minor surgery. You know, he led the Pac-12 in tackles this year. He's first-team All-Conference type player. Um, you know, he went underwent surgery. And you know he's more or less played his last game for Oregon State, I believe, because he's probably going to be preparing for the NFL draft by the next time we we hear more from him. So you know that's not to say that they don't have talent to be able to replace him with, yeah, you know, like his running minute linebacker Omar Spates is no Omar Spates, excuse me, is no slouch. You know they've got you know talent in the, in the secondary in and, and Rajan Wright, you know Jaden Grant, uh, Katano Wadapo, who you know, know how to get their hands on footballs. You know, they, I believe, broke up 40 passes this year, which I believe was second or third in the Pac-12. So they've got guys who can force turnovers. But you have to think, like, Utah State is is looking at this game and they're seeing a defense that's playing without its best player. And they think to themselves, okay, we should feel comfortable about going out and doing exactly what we want to do, which is throw the football and, and attack early and attack often. And see if Oregon State can stop us. Maybe that's a good possibility. Yeah, I mean, if if I, if I were Anthony Tucker and Blake Anderson, I would I would basically look at Logan Bonner and be like, "Go win me this game. Do it, yeah." Throw because there's going to be this might be
0: first to forty. Yeah, possibility because Utah State Stevens overall is not amazing. Like they did good versus the State's on certain, certain plays here or there like they shut them down and mostly the running game passing game's not charged. to shut down aztecs apologies not sorry aztecs but it's true their defense is not great so the oregon state is gonna find path to move the ball but look at the when you see oregon state like they're i had the schedule in front of me like look at like giving it, it's fine but like hawaii 27 points um 30 points here you know what i mean like yeah, I mean, their defense okay, is okay, let's, but let's Stanford's it, garbage, but there's parts of the season where if you give up 39 to Cal, that's a problem. 37 to Colorado, that's a problem.
1: Yeah, like let's it's put it this way. You know, point, points per drive, we just mentioned the Beavers are top. They're basically 19th on offense. They're 101st on defense by the same measure. And by available yards per play, or excuse me, available yards per drive earned, you know, they're they're 21st on offense, one hundred and eleventh on defense. So, there is really no excuse for, not, for Utah State not to try and do what it wants to do, which is throw the football early and often and dare Oregon State to stop them.
0: I don't think they can, though. That's the thing. I think also key in this game to a lesser is Calvin Tyler Jr. running the ball a little bit. Maybe this time off, he'll be more healthy and be ready to go.
1: Yeah. I mean, so, I, 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 but I think his role is going to be more as like the the closer type role. Like if Utah State can play its game and get a lead, then I think you can count upon Tyler Jr. and Noah to be like, okay, let's try and grind a little bit of clock and and you know take the air out of the ball, if you will, and see if we can, you know, do something with this lead.
0: The possibility. I I just don't know if they'll be able to have a lead like that maybe see everyone Scarborough has a, a kick returner, special specialty and flip the field a bit. That's a possibility as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man, this, this game, like the, I like the points more, like I had to more see what we've been reading through and discussing. And we'll see if our buddy Andy Dykoff likes about he's an Oregon state guy. So he's like rooting for the beaver. So we have to, maybe we need to remove him from our DMS for the week for that night, just to see who knows what will happen. But I like, like, this could be one of the more exciting games of the weekend, like there's a bunch of bowl games Oh, yeah. Like they're off at 30 something points per game. They, they're they very good. Like everything already mentioned, third down efficiency about 50%. That's they wild, go four, by the way. Yeah, 52% and 52% up there on fourth down. Yeah. They've and, gone, and,
1: oh, and oh, by the way, you know, Utah State's also really good in that regard, too. Like, yeah, yeah. I believe they're they what, second. They're first in the Mountain West, 44.5% overall. And third down, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Down. Yeah.
0: 21 times. They go for it about once or twice a game on fourth down, Oregon State here. So, look for a lot of hey it's fourth and 3 at my, at midfield we're going four, four. here's the here's, the
1: here's the big difference though all right so we just talked about how good both of these teams are on offense on third downs mm-hmm. do you, do you happen to know the difference between them on defense i don't know it all in front of me now so utah state was second in terms of opponents third down conversion rate 34.7% you know that's behind only san diego state and the mountain west oregon state dead last in the 12 yeah. they've given up over 50% of third-down conversions as well. And so, you know, to me, you know, that is another instance where, you know, maybe that's some, you know, something's got to give, I would say. Clearly, that, that's that's why there's going to be
0: so many points in this game. What we're going to say, well, keep drives going, and not at all drives to stop on their head. But I do think, I think the show, would be wide receiver show, who has the best player? Like Blake Anderson? Really good. Or no, sorry, head coach, excuse me. <laughs> um, Logan Bonner is who I meant to say. Like Devin Tompkin's clearly the best player. Best quarterback combination out there. They have dec- – these like defenders are okay. Like Shaq Bond, Bonner, VJ Vox, excuse me. These are pretty good players out there. Justin Rice, obviously. I just – I don't want to say he's the first one to make a stop. But if I'm leaning toward who will, I think it could be Utah State because – well, the defense hasn't been overly great. They have a couple guys like Justin Rice who can make plays. Look what they did in Mountain West title game. How many sacks, TFLs the they got after Stating of State? So they don't even have an amazing game. They seem to have some big plays, timely plays.
1: Yeah, I think that one thing for Utah State is they need to avoid turnovers one last time. Which you know they've had they had more success doing that down the stretch. And and the one turnover that they had against San Diego State at the championship game didn't really hurt them all that much, but again, you know, you're still talking about an offense that has exactly one game this year where they didn't turn the ball over at all. And while Oregon State isn't necessarily like great shakes about their ability to create turnovers, you know, again, we you know, we talked about all the talent in that secondary, and you know, they've proven they can get their hands on footballs and make them pay for mistakes. And the offense is good enough to you know be able to. Just you know, play ball control if they want to, and you know, keep the Utah State's offense off the field. That's probably the best case, and it could be done because, like I said, Aggie's
0: defense just okay. Yeah. So seven point in line. What do the advanced
1: numbers say? Because I think this is going to be closer than touchdown. So the advanced numbers tend to agree. FEI likes Oregon State by just two point eight points. Um SP Plus likes Oregon State by 9.7, 71% win probability. Uh Parker Fleming's advanced stats preview also likes the Beavers, 59.85% win probability. Projected margin of roughly 32 and a half to 29. Three point okay, three points. So that's well under. Well, that's just about under. What do you think? I feel, I mean, I feel like Vegas is missing something in this Aggies team. I agree. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Utah State to win and cover. Well, I guess oh, they, I guess they will cover to. by winning. Anyway. <laughs> but I, but I think that they're in a position to do a lot. A, you know, something like a lot of the better offenses, the Pac-12, were able to to do against this Oregon State defense down the stretch. And so, while I think it's likely that that the Beavers will be able to make a lot of hay themselves, I don't think it's gonna be easy for Utah State to win this game. But I would expect them to be able to outlast Oregon State. I'm gonna say 41 to 38. Who 80 79 points? Yeah. I would love if that would be the case.
0: But I don't think I don't it's think going to be, be that it's gonna be it's gonna be a
1: point well. explosion.
0: That's what I think. I I think that's right because we've already mentioned passing game, Tompkins, all these guys, Calvin Tyler, Bonner. Everything that can happen for be like BJ Baylor, all these guys out there on this team that can do different things. I think their running game of will be an issue for Utah State. Like you said, they'll keep the ball. They'll want to keep Utah State off the on the field for defense mm-hmm. and offense not making points. But I think I'm, I'm going to be with the Aggies. Like people, I guarantee people are like oh, you guys hate them all year. I'm like, man, we weren't super confident. If they're 80 percent what they did in the Mountain title game, they're still going to win this game. I think it'll be a touch less score. I'm going to go 38, 34 Utah State. All right then. All right, that wraps up Bowl Preview Part One of of, of um, I don't know. You know on Twitter they put one of X because they don't know how many threads. Yeah, we're going to do this. This is one of X Bowl previews. I'm not there sure how many we're doing I we'll, like have that couple, me. we'll have a couple. We'll have a couple schedule wise and all that stuff, but we'll have another one. Surely we'll talk about the games on the Tuesday games. So we'll be back um, So, listen for that next couple of days. But mwr.com. Check out our previews, podcasts, Coon we're doing, hoop stuff, all sorts of things coming up. Signing day, we may have a little bit up on the side as well. So because you know, Matt, we're not a super recruiting site, but we keep one eye on it, essentially. That's about how close we look at it. So um, yeah, check us out next time and give us a review and share the love. Tell people about the show and say, hey, the guys are adequate at what they do.